Chinese city asking people to donate blood and organs, and a new rule specifically targeting parents. More on how reports say local authorities are involved. COVID-like infections running rampant in Shanghai hospitals. A glimpse inside those wards through the eyes of a local health worker. The patient, his ward, smells really bad. The smell comes from his inflamed lungs. The Commerce Department calls Chinese chip developments deeply concerning, while a Chinese tech giant claims it can mass-produce some of the world's most advanced chips. And pro-democracy advocates attacked by a pro-Beijing group on American soil. How are U.S. lawmakers responding? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A Chinese city wants more organs and more blood. Reports say the police are behind the request. A recent case reveals that local authorities in one area are calling on parents to donate blood. And their decision could directly affect their kids' education opportunities. Here are the details. In China's southern Zhejiang province, a notice from the police department in Jinhua City is sparking buzz on Chinese social media. It encourages parents to donate organs and blood in exchange for easier access to public elementary schools and kindergartens for their kids. And the more the parents donate, the better the access. On top of that, blood stem cell and bone marrow donations also yield benefits. They're critical for curing certain blood diseases. We spoke to parents in China concerned about the matter. To protect their identities, we distorted their voices. I'd rather my children not go to school than be involved in these donations. I've specifically told my kids that donating blood or signing organ donation agreements is something they should never get involved in. I'm worried that if they sign such agreements, they might inexplicably disappear at some point. The donation campaign was introduced earlier this year, while some fear the donation of education policy could expand to other regions. Perhaps it's about letting this region take the lead, and other provinces and cities will follow. It's so evil. The evil of it no longer needs to be disguised. It just comes out publicly now. Look at organ transportation, live organ harvesting. Wow, where are they being transported from? The directive was released through the local police department's official social media channel. It specifically applies to new residents who moved to the city from other regions. Rising infections are running rampant in hospitals in Shanghai, China's biggest city. Authorities refuse to admit that the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, is the main driver. Instead, they blame a number of other ailments. That's according to a healthcare worker. We distorted his voice and gave him a pseudonym to protect his identity. He's worked temporary jobs in different hospitals in Shanghai. Here's what he saw in one of those facilities. CCP virus infections have started spreading inside the hospital. Even patients' family members have been infected. I also heard some doctors and nurses cough, though some COVID patients cough while others don't. He says hospitals in Shanghai are overflowing. It's hard to get a bed in the hospital, every single one of them. Shanghai is China's top spot for foreign trade, with the U.S. standing as its top export destinations. Trade volume between the two totals over $40 billion. Back to the virus outbreak, Wang says that inside another hospital... I also heard people coughing in the hallway and inside wards. Another caregiver was also infected with the CCP virus. 
He doesn't have much strength in his body and looked very pale. He also witnessed a cancer patient who caught the virus. Wong called that patient's symptoms severe. The patient, his ward, smells really bad. It's hard to stay in that room. The smell comes from his inflamed lungs. His lungs have been severely infected and have inflammation. Meanwhile, authorities have been quietly ramping up COVID-19 prevention measures. Media reports say vaccines targeting the XBB variant are available in Shanghai's hospitals. A staff member at Shanghai's Pudong Airport told Radio Free Asia that foreign travelers must be screened for COVID-19 after arriving at the airport. Chinese internet users have also shared clips taken inside hospitals. Here, patients fill a pediatric hospital's hallway in Shanghai after 8 p.m. In Jiangsu, patients wait in long lines to get IV drips. Similar scenes are playing out in major cities up north. Here's a clip showing patients crowding Tianjin Pediatric Hospital. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. Washington will take the strongest possible action to safeguard national security. That's the word from Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. As Beijing announces a technological milestone, Chinese tech giant Huawei released a new smartphone in August. The model claims to use 7 nanometer technology. Chips made with it are among the world's most advanced and have broad applications for powering artificial intelligence and military technology. U.S. sanctions sought to cut off Beijing's access to high-end American chips in 2019. Other major chip players like Japan and the Netherlands have taken similar measures. Yet the new phone appears to signal a message. China claims to have defeated those export controls and has its own capacity to produce the top-quality chips. Raimondo called the development deeply concerning in a Monday interview, adding her department vigorously investigates anything it sees as concerning. She didn't confirm a formal probe into Huawei or Chinese chipmaker SMIC. The U.S. Bureau of Industry and Security under the Commerce Department previously said it was investigating China's claim to having the technology. Worth noting, Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee recently took aim at the Bureau. Congressman Michael McCall accused it of being too lenient in approving sensitive technology exports to Chinese companies and of being too soft on alleged sanctions violators. U.S. chipmaking giant NVIDIA is facing a battle in China. Their local chip designers aim to grab a slice of the AI market. With U.S. chip export restrictions in play, can they convince clients to make the switch? Let's zoom in. NVIDIA currently has around 90% of the market for AI-related chips in the country, but rivals see an opportunity in the export curbs. Right now, Huawei is seen as the biggest challenger. Its latest chips are competitive on at least some metrics. Chinese search giant Baidu has reportedly placed a big order for processors from the firm. Gaming company Tencent is making its move too. It's been pushing services that use an AI chip it developed with startup Enflame. The silicon is said to offer performance comparable to some NVIDIA products. Tencent is reportedly touting it as a cheaper option for things like image and speech recognition. There is also competition from a host of smaller players like state-backed Haigon Information Technology. Speaking last week, NVIDIA chief Jensen Huang acknowledged the challenge and called Huawei a formidable rival. But analysts say the would-be competitors could struggle with production even if they can win sales. 
That's due to how U.S. curbs make it hard for big chip foundries like Taiwan's TSMC to work with Chinese firms. The U.S. is in talks with NVIDIA about selling AI chips to China. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo spoke about the news Monday. She said the chipmaker can sell AI chips to the Chinese firms for commercial use, but will have to exclude most advanced ones that could be used for training advanced models. This comes after Raimondo previously pledged to restrict the sale of any new chips that could enhance China's AI capabilities. NVIDIA says it's working with the U.S. government following its clear rules. China's communist leader kicking off a two-day visit to Vietnam this week, marking his first trip to the country in six years. The goal, to make sure the strategically important neighbor doesn't take sides with Washington against Beijing. Despite conflicting claims over territory in the South China Sea, Beijing and Hanoi on Tuesday agreed to boost ties. The two also made dozens of other deals, covering areas like railways and telecommunications. Chinese investments and grants are expected to be part of the agreements. That's just three months after Biden upgraded Washington's formal relations with Vietnam in Hanoi. The Southeast Asian nation is a key arena for the U.S.-China rivalry. It's home to the world's second largest rare earth deposit, making it a potential alternative supply chain to break China's rare earth monopoly. China dominates the processing of those minerals, crucial for smartphones, electric vehicles and high-tech weapons. Violent attacks on U.S. soil happening right before the eyes of world leaders. At a press conference Tuesday, the Congressional Executive Commission on China is calling attention to assaults committed by pro-CCP groups during the APEC summit last month. NTD's Sam Wong has the details. Lawmakers today zoomed in on what happened in San Francisco during the APEC summit several weeks ago, when groups of Chinese pro-democracy activists surrounded and attacked by pro-CCP activists on the ground. In November, violent scuffles erupted as California welcomed leaders of the Chinese Communist Party to the Bay Area. Carrying signs and banners, a group of pro-democracy activists seized the moment to speak out against the regime's atrocities against human rights. But the protests soon turned violent after they were ambushed and assaulted by CCP-affiliated actors. According to a human rights organization, the Chinese consulate made arrangements for them to attend the rally, even covering their travel expenses from as far away as New York. Chinese exile Zhou Fengsuo told me that San Francisco police did nothing to intervene. Instead, they stood by and watched. Uh, with transnational repression, normally we're talking about uh, 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 CCP's influence here. You know, with their agents, but now we are looking at U.S. government, uh, you know, actively doing the bidding uh, with law enforcement. Just ahead of the APEC summit, the city of San Francisco displaced all homeless shelters in nearby neighborhoods, even putting up fences in the surrounding areas. To clean that up in terms of the physical look, just move people to other places, simply because you want to give a a Potemkin village um, uh, uh, to Xi Jinping so he doesn't see something that doesn't look good. And, and again, uh, to kowtow as they did. I can't think of any other word that says it. During the summit, some U.S. business leaders reportedly spent $40,000 just to sit at a dinner table with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Congressman Chris Smith told me that many corporate executives have not only neglected human rights abuses in China, they've also enabled the communist dictatorship as never before. Did anybody in that APEC summit, uh, particularly with the business community, raise human rights? Anybody? I don't think so.
the Congressional Executive Commission on China urged San Francisco police to investigate the violent incidents and, quote, pursue justice as appropriate. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News. Now, zooming in on human rights abuses in China, over 1,000 Falun Gong practitioners were arrested by authorities across China from September to October. Over 170 of the victims are seniors over 60 years old. Falun Gong is a spiritual meditation practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. Its popularity exploded in China in the 1990s, to the point that about one in every 13 Chinese citizens were practicing it. In 1999, the Chinese regime launched a nationwide persecution campaign against the practice. Millions of practitioners were thrown in jail and tortured. At least 4,000 have been killed. An unclear number had their organs harvested by force. Staying on the persecution of Falun Gong, among thousands of documented cases from all over China, a recent report shows that one prison is single-handedly responsible for the deaths of at least 63 Falun Gong practitioners. Liaoning Women's Prison is located in a northeastern Chinese suburb. It's known as one of the largest and most notorious prisons in the country. Since the persecution began in 1999, the cell has reportedly used a variety of torture methods against practitioners. That's an attempt to make them condemn and renounce their faith. Some of the tactics include, but are not limited to, intensive forced labor, electrocution, force feeding, and toxic injections. Many of the victims were subjected to long-time physical and psychological abuse. Some died only within days. According to a cellmate, Falun Gong practitioner Li Hongzhen was killed in 2003 after spending less than a week in custody. She was only in her 30s. News from Japan. Three ex-soldiers found guilty of sexually assaulting a colleague. It comes at a difficult time as the country tries to recruit more female soldiers to strengthen its military. Why? To deter an increasingly assertive China. Here's more. A Japanese court found three former soldiers guilty of sexually assaulting a female colleague on Tuesday. The victory marks the end of a long battle for victim Rina Gonoi, whose fights for justice challenged taboos in the country's traditional, male-dominated society. 24-year-old former Self-Defence Forces member Gonoi's case relates to an incident in 2021, during her time in the army. She says she was pinned down by three male colleagues who pulled her legs apart and pressed their crotches against her in a simulation of a sex act. The defendants deny that their acts amounted to sexual assault. Gonoi spoke to reporters outside the district court in Fukushima. I think it was good for Japan's society that the court handed down a guilty verdict and admitted the claims that I've made from the very beginning. The verdict shows that it's not okay to do things for a laugh, but such acts are an actual crime. I hope the defendants think about what they did and reflect deeply on their actions. The men, aged from 29 to 31, seemed to show little expression as the judge read out his verdict. They were each given a suspended sentence of two years. Gonoi went public with her accusations in 2022, a rare move in Japan's conservative society where speaking out against sexual violence has remained largely taboo. Japan's defence ministry then issued a public apology. The ministry also announced that five men connected to the incident had been dismissed and four others punished. 
The cases come at an awkward time for Japan, which is trying to recruit more female soldiers into its forces and build up its military, an effort to deter an increasingly assertive China and nuclear-armed North Korea. Coming up, China's cyber army is striking at the heart of America, laying a trial of havoc in its wake. Utilities in Hawaii, a West Coast port, and a vital pipeline all falling prey to the sophisticated cyber attack. The latest revelation raises crucial questions about America's national security. What vulnerabilities have been exposed? And how is the nation responding to the silent invasion? We sat down with John Mills, retired Army colonel and former director for cybersecurity of the Defense Department, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. America's core is under attack. China's cyber army is infiltrating critical U.S. services. From a water utility in Hawaii to a West Coast port and a vital pipeline. What vulnerabilities have been laid bare and what's the end goal of Beijing's cyber intrusions? We speak to John Mills, retired Army colonel and former director for cybersecurity of the Defense Department, for more. John Mills, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Tiffany, thank you. Always an honor to be on your show. Now, China has been attacking the U.S. with massive cyber attacks. The Washington Post noting the extent of it, ranging from a water utility in Hawaii, major ports on the West Coast, and even the entire Texas grid, to name a few. What are these attacks telling us about Beijing's end goal here? Well, I, I think this all falls into the category of advanced force operations, preparation of the, the battle space, preparation uh, uh, of the environment. So I think they want to know these utilities very well. The water utility in Hawaii, very concerning. And also we've had this huge water issue because of the Red Hill Navy fuel farm that has uh, um, um, contaminated much of the water supply. Uh, so we got that. Uh, the, the, the West Coast port, obviously very important. And uh, the Texas grid, uh, who would be a, a important state in generating and de deploying capabilities uh, in case of any kind of uh, conflict in the Pacific. Now, these aren't just government facilities. These are also civilian ones. So how seriously should we be taking this threat? Well, the, the military can't generate and project force without close partnership with these exact utilities. These Department of Defense installations depend on water from the local community. They depend on power from the local community. So uh, it is uh, absolutely woven together that DOD has to work with their uh, with local utilities and uh, private sector partners. And John, you were the former director of cybersecurity at the Defense Department. What was your reaction? Not surprised at all. This is a continuing tradition going all the way back. It was really the Office of Personnel Management breach, which started in 2014, but I think pre-existed 2014. And that's from that point onward, it was really all uh, the dominant cyber threat and concern was was China. Everybody else is a tributary state. So any, any cyber activity by Russia, Iran, Venezuela, North Korea is all in support of uh, the Chinese Communist Party end state. So. Given all that's at stake here, what are the immediate steps the U.S. must take then to shore up our defenses? 
it takes a network to fight a network. So our network defense needs to get better and our uh, cyber capabilities need to get better. But it's also uh, President Trump had it right. You have to, just as they are, uh, China is uh, using unrestricted warfare and asymmetric warfare against us. Uh, President Trump understood you needed to punch back in other areas of cyber. You have to, have to go after their 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 weak money system, their need for the U.S. dollar, their food shortages. There's all kinds of ways to hold China, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, accountable. Just because they hit us in cyber doesn't mean we have to hit back in cyber. There are other methods that can be far more effective and will stop them cold in their cyber uh, attacks. And given that, is there anything, say, the average Joe can do to maybe help officials recognize this threat? Oh, very good question. Well, part of it is making sure your own home network is secure. Use a VPN from your from your home and any of your mobile devices, uh, a virtual uh, private network. This really helps secure your communications. Uh, always a uh, password, uh, uh, both your your home network. Uh, definitely have one on the route, a password on the router, a complex one. Just changing the password disrupts the uh, the enemy trying to get into your network. So if you haven't changed it for a while, change it. Uh, also use two-factor authentication wherever possible. John Mills, thank you so much for your time. Tiffany, thank you so much. Take care. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.